Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 and we're going to go from verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you'll pray with me, please. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations deep within all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We're going to join Jesus at an early point in his ministry. And although it was early, much has happened already and there is much more to come. Jesus had just been in the Gadarenes. There he encountered two men who were demon-possessed. Now, these men had cut off the trade route to the sea, so when people tried to pass, they would get extremely violent with them, and the people would run in fear. Jesus encountered these two men immediately, cast the demons out of them, and into a herd of swine. When Jesus did this, the demons went into the swine, and the whole herd of swine ran down a steep embankment and perished in the sea. The formerly demon-possessed men ran into the town and told everyone what happened. Despite these men being fully healed, an entire town confronted Jesus and asked him to leave. The whole city. The whole city asked Jesus to leave. So he got back into a boat and he crossed back over the sea to his own city. There Jesus was approached by a man that was paralyzed. This is in the beginning of Matthew 9, where we see one of the many encounters with the Pharisees. Jesus had just forgiven the paralyzed man's sin in front of the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. The earthly ministry of Jesus Christ has just barely begun. He was early in this undefeated streak that he would have against the Pharisees. He hasn't even called all of his disciples yet. And already the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are feeling threatened. The stage is now set for the confrontation with the Pharisees that we're going to focus on today. And see what lessons that we can draw from this section of scripture. This section started out as I read. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and he said to him follow me 
and he got up and followed him. As a tax collector, Matthew undoubtedly had seen the Pharisees at work on a day-to-day -day basis. He would have sat in his tax collector booth and watched people go about their business daily. There from that booth, he would have a bird's eye view of what went on in the city from that solitude. People were not just stopping to see how Matthew was doing or, or just to stop and chat. These tax collectors were not well-liked people. Of the money they collected, part was extorted for personal gain and the rest was sent to the tax as a tax to Rome. So they would be seen both as thieves, but also as traitors toward the Jewish nation. Jesus, the most holy man that has ever lived or will live, walks past all these religious zealots and the Pharisees right up to the lonely tax collector's booth and calls a thief and a traitor to follow him. At this point, the Pharisees know enough about Jesus that they know that they didn't like him and they don't trust him. He was different. He was different and he was coming against them on every front. And now he has the audacity to call this criminal Matthew out of this tax collector's booth and he says to him, follow me. Imagine that, a sinner being called to a life of ministry. Who would have thought? Jesus and Matthew then would go to eat with other tax collectors and sinners. This would throw the Pharisees into an absolute rage. What exactly is this guy doing? What is he thinking? Which poses a question, have you ever done this? as a believer, just walk past the church group to go sit with a loner for no other reason than to show them the love of Christ, that someone in this world cares for them. If you have, you know exactly what Jesus was doing. You see, often Christians get clicky. They stick by their own, never veering off the path to meet others Unless it's for a quick friendship, evangelism, encounter to win a soul, and then it's back to the main group and back to safety. When was the last time that you left the safety of your group to go sit with a loner or a group of loners? Not to be influenced by them or their sin, but just to get to know them. To engage the person who no one seems to like for one reason or another. For no reason other than to show them someone cares. To step away from the clique and show love. Jesus walked right past the church group to call Matthew. Right past the clique. Yeah, no one likes a tax collector. No one. Yet, instead of choosing his disciples, from among the established church group, from those who were outwardly religious, Jesus chose the called. No preconceived notions regarding scripture, no previous training, one who could be instructed from the foundation upward.
And who were the first people to question this decision? The Pharisees, the religious people. Now the word religious has become somewhat of a derogatory term in today's society, stemming from what I believe is an infestation of falsely converted wannabe Christians who actually amount to nothing more than line-towing modern-day Pharisees. Yes, they are out there, and yes, I have run into them. The uncanny resemblance to the Pharisees in Scripture is awe-inspiring. Never for once think that any demonic spirit, that any demonic spirit from old cannot be present now, creating havoc, as they surely can and will. Now the Pharisees didn't ask Jesus personally why Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. They asked his disciples, even though Jesus was right there. Verse 12 lets us know Jesus was close enough to hear as Scripture records when Jesus heard this. This proves the Pharisees really didn't have caring hearts for the lost, but rather were just religious outwardly and they were trying to stir up trouble in the opposing camp. The Pharisees were protectors of some secret known only to them. Unless you proved yourself outwardly to them and joined them, they wanted nothing to do with you. They would merely walk around in groups, looking down upon others who didn't fit into their clique, like many church cliques do today. Let me tell you though, Christianity isn't some high school clique, a religion where one must wash themselves clean before they can enter in and gain knowledge of the secret. And many think this, that one day when all their fun and loose living is done, they will simply follow the pharisaical rules they feel their interpretation of Christianity calls for, and then they're good to go. They'll stop the fun, stop the loose living, and surrender to Christ. In turn, gaining knowledge of the secret that they wanted nothing to do with in the past. But what if this ideology that they've known about, or this ideology that they turn to, isn't biblical Christianity? Or what if life ends before that day manifests? My question is this, why wait? What can, possibly, what can possibly be greater in this life than preparation for the life to come? To worship a God on earth that you'll worship for eternity in heaven. Notice when Jesus called to Matthew and said, Follow me, there wasn't hesitation in Matthew at all. He walked off his job, mid-shift even. So imagine doing that, walking off your job mid-shift to follow Christ. Matthew didn't stop to get himself cleaned up to follow Christ. The thief, the traitor, the sinner Matthew dropped what he was doing and came. Dirty and sinful, he came to his Savior. As we ourselves came, and it wasn't on Matthew's terms after one more round, after one more affair, after one more dollar collected. 
It was on Jesus' terms. Do you remember Jesus calling you? How it made you feel? This is how Matthew felt. Maybe there are some he's calling today. Maybe he's calling you into a deeper walk and closer communion. In either case, what's the holdup? Do you need to get cleaned up first? Or will you, like Matthew, drop everything and follow Christ? Prior to the events with the demonics that we started the sermon with, another of the disciples being called said to him, Jesus, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus' response, follow me and allow the dead to bury their dead. Jesus was telling him that there was work to be done for the kingdom, that one dead had made their final choice. Those left who were dead in their sins can concentrate on the cares of the world where their hearts are. The spiritually dead burying the physically dead. You, he said to the disciple, follow me. While this looks like a literal do not take care of the things you must do and be churchy, it is not. What it does show us is the importance of our walk in relation to the things of the world. If we take our focus off the kingdom fully and put it into the cares of the world, even for just a moment, the other cares will come flooding in and take us away from caring for the cross of Christ. We can actually see this as some people's interpretation of Scripture. They've taken their focus off the cross. Everything they do is supposedly so godly that everything they do is Christ-like. But yet Jesus is no longer Lord and Master of their lives, but rather an exciting figure to join hands together around as they sing songs about Him in fellowship with one another. No grit, no anguish, no devotion thinking they live a life for Christ, but rather members of a social club where they can see their friends and family for a couple hours, once a week, and then go back to living for the world in their supposed Christ-like state. A state in a world that Jesus told the disciples to allow the dead to bury the dead in. Matthew didn't hesitate by focusing on the world, but followed Christ immediately even though the Pharisees had been around him his whole life as the religious example. Now here's the question. Why would Matthew follow someone who had just arrived rather than the ones that had been around him seemingly forever? One is the power of God to draw a man to him, the potter having control over the clay. Secondly, Matthew had sat in his tax collector's booth and watched the Pharisees on a daily basis. He watched them do the very things they told others not to do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, yet thou doest, and tell me thou shalt not. A scenario we see replayed over and over even to this day. Group after group have this mindset. Do as we say, pay no attention to what we do. Joke after joke is made about these people. 
the ones where they don't recognize each other at the liquor store or the two or three walk into a bar. You name it. Or perhaps you've heard the stories of how they're the most demanding of the wait staff, yet leave a small tip, if any at all. They act as if they have a license to sin, yet revoke the same privileges to others outside their group. The spirit of the Pharisee is not dead and gone, as I said. It is alive and well, and it is actively working to destroy everything around it all in the name of Christianity albeit a false interpretation of a very real gospel. The Pharisees lacked one thing Jesus and true Christians exude, and that is love. Love for God and love for fellow man. To the Pharisees, religion was a steadfast adherence to a prescribed set of rules. Not love for one another, but adherence to the law. Jesus came in love, casting out demons, healing the sick, forgiving sin, setting the captives free. He made the Pharisees look like a bunch of clowns. Why hadn't they made an impact like this? They've been here the whole time. Why hadn't they bothered to show Matthew what love was? It's because they were more focused on strict adherence to the law than in loving one another. Strict adherence to the law accomplished nothing. Love conquers all. It was love that caused Jesus Christ to come. It was love that made the deaf hear and the blind see. It was love that stood against the Pharisees. It was love that was nailed to the cross. It was love that died upon that cross, was buried, and three days later was resurrected. It was love that sits at the right hand of the Father, and it was love that after calling Matthew sat down with the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus not only practiced what he preached, Jesus lived it. As John wrote in his first epistle, from the beginning Jesus came preaching love for one another. This love was exegeted by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when he gave a detailed rundown of the things a Christian could be and could do, but without love it was all nothing. He wrote, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What Paul was saying was, yes, you may speak in tongues. You may prophesy. You may know all secrets. You may have all knowledge. You may have faith so strong you can move mountains. You may feed the poor. You may give your body up to martyrdom. You may be killed for your faith. But if you do not have love, 
If you do not have love, you are nothing. Everything that you did was for naught. He then gave a very detailed explanation of what love truly is. These verses heard around the world at weddings almost weekly include love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast. While they hold a special place in our heart, what they truly are is a look into a side of the Savior the Pharisees didn't have. In fact, love was so much a part of Jesus that you could replace love with Jesus Christ in these verses and the meaning would be unchanged. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have Jesus, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have Jesus, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have Jesus, it profits me nothing. There is Jesus sat with the tax collectors and sinners. He didn't show them a strict adherence to the law. He showed them love. He showed them that love is patient, that love is kind and is not jealous, that love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomely, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now hope, or faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And there sat Jesus showing love to the unloved. Not to appear all-inclusive or tolerant or accepting, but to, out of his love for them, call them to a changed life, a fruitful life. A life dead to self and dead to sin and alive to Christ. His call was to transform their lives not a call to adhere to a set of rules and laws. And the Pharisees asked, why? Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And they asked this with an earshot of Jesus. And before the disciples could even answer, Jesus responded, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. 
You guys boast you are well. These guys don't know that they're sick. I've come as a physician to spiritually heal those who are spiritually sick. The Pharisees were not any different than the group that Jesus ate with. Only they refused to listen and they refused to take account of their lives. They thought they were well. They didn't need any refined religion, nor did they need this Jesus come lately telling them anything. Besides, what is he even talking about saying it's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick? But remember, Jesus heard the questioning of the disciples. So Jesus continues his response, but go and learn what this means. This was a common phrase used as a rebuke for those who didn't know something they should have. The Pharisees should have known what Jesus was talking about, yet they had no idea. Spiritual sickness never came into their view as something to look for. They were purely outward thinkers and reactors. Jesus cited to them Hosea 6.6, 6, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. When he said, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, Jesus was emphasizing the moral standard of the law over the ceremonial ones. In other words, the inward adherence trumps the outward adherence. Jesus would tell the Pharisees in no uncertain terms this later in Matthew when he blatantly told them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, to call them to a life of righteousness, to call them to be washed clean inside and out by his blood. But that cleansing blood can only be used by those who will see their own filthiness inside and out. And the Pharisees were not able to understand this after repeated warnings. So what does this all mean for us today for here and for now number one Christians are going to come from all walks of life all skin colors all financial and social categories God is no respecter of persons and neither should we be we will see people throughout life that are different from us on many levels but that will never justify us treating them bad or ignoring them because of any factor. Love shows love. As Christians, we are to show the love of Christ, not just to one another, but to those around us. Because you never know where the person has been or where they're going. Why they are like they are, or why they act like they act. It's been proven that one person can change another's life. For some, it may be a stranger who simply cares. For others, for others, it may be a wife that shows her husband what love truly is. Secondly, 
We need to strive to be Christ-like in all endeavors. People watch us. How we act, what we say, what we do. Just as Matthew had done with the Pharisees. You cannot just be Christ-like one hour or maybe two hours a weekend around your friends and family and then live like the devil the rest of the 166, 167 hours of the week. To think this is an okay way to live is a lie from the pits of hell. You have to choose who you will serve. You have to choose who you will serve. Will it be an undying devotion to Jesus Christ? focusing inward that may ruffle some feathers and cause issues or will it be to serve self and live as trouble free as possible while shying away from some of the tenets of the faith as you live a life focusing on your outward appearance some may see no problem with this but Jesus did as we go on from here I implore you, brothers and sisters, to direct your focus inward to the love of Christ within you. How you, how we can show the love of Christ shown to us, to others. How we can bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others and into other lives, into other places. How we can be a positive force in this very negative and downtrodden world to the point where we can be a force, a positive force to the point where when other Christians ask us, why are you even talking to that person? We can cite a not often quoted word of Jesus Christ to them when we say, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what love means. Amen.